Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen, church. It's good to see all of you here today. It's good to have all of you at the Frederick campus join us live and all of you online. We love you. It's good to have you. And all of you here in the room, it is good to see all of you today. I want you to get to Acts chapter 5. We're going to dive in. Um, we, we started a series this last week, and uh, Matt did a wonderful job. He, he kicked off the series. It's called Five Questions You Should Ask Yourself. Like five questions about what? It's, it, it, the series is all about decision-making, and I think everybody wants to make better decisions, and I think everybody wants to have fewer regrets. And so we actually based this series off a book by that title, by Andy Stanley, Better Decisions, Fewer Regret, Regrets, Five Decision-Making Questions That You Should Ask Yourself That Will Help. And so Matt jumped in last week, and he uh, started off with one question, and here was the question. It was, if you're going to make better decisions, you should ask yourself this, what story do I want to tell? Now think about that for a moment. Why should I ask that question? Well, the decisions that we make now, we usually think in the moment. We're not thinking about what that decision, the ramifications it will have for down in the future. And so what story do I want to tell? Or better yet, you could ask it this way. What story do I want others to tell about me? We're all going to sit at a funeral. Actually, you won't sit at your funeral someday, but a whole lot of people will. And what story do you want to be told in that moment? Because here's the thing. The story of your life is being, is being written one decision at a time. Now, during that message, Matt started off, and I thought it was funny, got a chuckle out of everybody, but it's so true. It's a little embarrassing, but it's true. He said, here's one thing that everybody has in common when it, become, when it comes to dis- decision-making. So here's the thing. The one thing we have in common, you've seen on the screen, he made us all say it out loud. I'm not going to have you do that, but here it is. The thing is, I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. Like, it's true, it's a little embarrassing, but it's true. Every bad decision that you've ever made, you were there for. Like, nobody subbed in for you, and you're like, I think I should do this, and then somebody, you were there for that thing. Like, you participated in every bad decision that you've ever made. Today, we're gonna take it up a notch. Because the reality is this, you were there for, you participated in, but take it a little further, every single one of us has to admit, in some of the most regrettable decisions that we've ever made, we talked ourselves into those decisions. You weren't just there for it. It didn't just happen to you. You actually rationalized, justified, just flat out lied to yourself and said, this is gonna work out, this is gonna be fine. You rationalized it, you said, man, this one time, I'll just do it this one time. It's not gonna hurt anybody, I can handle this. And it turned into a regrettable decision, but you were the one who talked yourself into it. A long time ago, when I was first in ministry, I had a, a wedding to do. It was one of my first weddings. And you know how weddings go. Like, weddings are tense. I mean, they're great moments. Everybody comes. It's great. But you're always wondering, what's going to go wrong in this ceremony? Like, what's going to actually happen? Who's going to forget what they're supposed to do? And as a pastor, you're trying to make that moment like the best moment ever for this bride. You're trying to do your best. And so I was heading out the door, and it was one of my first weddings, so I'm a little nervous. And I'm heading out the door, and I walk past the mirror, and I see that I've got a wrinkle, like right here on my collar. And if you know me, you know that I'm a freak about ironing. 
Like, I am a freak about wrinkling. Like, today I got up this morning, these jeans had a crease in it. I'm like, nope. Got it. I put them in the dryer, didn't work, got out the iron, took care of it. I'm a freak about ironing. So I, there was like no way I'm going to this lady's wedding and having a wrinkle in the pictures of her wedding, right? So I, I think, so I head into the bathroom and I grab the iron and I'm getting out and I'm thinking, I don't have time. Like, I'm running late. I don't have time to take off my tie. I don't have time to take off my suit. I, I don't have time for all of this. I can handle this. Like, I'm a professional. Like, I, I can do that. I'm a freak about iron. I can do this. And so I plug the iron in. I take the iron, point it at myself. I spray some water on the, on the you know, on my collar. And I proceed to take the iron. And, I, and it was going well. It was going well for a moment. And then all of a sudden, I literally branded myself. Like, scream like a girl, branded myself which actually wasn't that bad for the wedding, but the three weeks after that, I had to wear a turtleneck because I had a scar from here to here. I mean, it was terrible. Now, here's the thing. You would think from your decisions that you learn from your decisions, correct? But here's what we do. We talk ourselves into some of the worst decisions we've ever made, no matter how big or how little that they are. Three weeks ago, I'm wearing this shirt. I'm getting ready for Good Friday service. I'm getting ready to head out the door. I walk past the mirror. What do I see? I've got a wrinkle right here on my, on my, on my pocket. And I'm like, well, can't have that in a Good Friday video. Jesus wouldn't like that. So I'm a little late. It's a theme. I'm a little late. I grab the iron. I'm a professional. There's no exposed skin in this area. I'm fine. I plug the iron in. I get the steam going. I put, I, right, it always happens when someone else sees you, correct? Right as my wife is walking by the bathroom door, I do this and that steam hits and I like freaked out, screamed like a girl and she's like, you did it again. I did, I did. I still have the scar from three weeks ago, Good Friday service. Here's the thing, it's a reality. You and I, we aren't just there for, we didn't just participate in. When it comes to decision making, there are times where we actually talk ourselves into some of the most regrettable decisions that we have we ever, ever made. And here's the thing, it's okay when we're talking about ironing. It's okay when you're talking about some small little story, but when it explodes into bigger problems, bigger issues in our life that have bigger consequences, it's not okay. Because the regrets are much bigger. When you talk about telling untruths, when you talk about things like sex and porn and addiction and all these other things, what happens, a little rationalizing, a little I can handle this, a little it won't happen to me, a little, no, this isn't gonna hurt anybody? Get you pregnant? Get you addicted? Get you fired? Or worse? And the reality is, is that we get it. I have talked myself into every bad decision that I have ever made. And the reality is, whether you justified, whether you rationalized, whether you flat out deceived yourself, we are the mastermind of most of our bad decisions. And why is that? Because most of the time, if you just step back, we knew better. Or in the moment, we should have known better. We look at other people all the time, we're like, why in the world did that person do that? But most of the time, we look at our own decisions and say, what was I thinking? And why is that? Here's the reason why. Because the easiest person to deceive is you. Like you think about your worst decisions. Man, there was a moment where you told yourself, you said, hey, it's gonna work out all right. 
Nobody will know. Whatever the rationalizations that you did, you talked yourself into and you deceived you. Here's the thing. The biggest leadership issue you will face is every morning when you get up and look in the mirror. Like the hardest person for you to lead is actually you. And the reason is, is because the easiest person for us to lie to and to deceive is us. But the problem is, is when we do that, what we do is this self-leadership thing, we mess up on that, and self-leadership is actually the key to lasting influence. Like, you get that. If you're a business leader, you understand to be able to lead others, you have to first lead who? Yourself. Because people are watching. If you're a parent, you get this. Your kids don't grow up and say they want to be like you just because you have a position of authority over them. Authority can be abused. Kids grow up and say, I want to be like my mom or my dad because of self-leadership. Because you did a good job with your integrity. You did a good job with your honesty. You were loving and you were kind and you showed up when you said you were going to show up. And you were affectionate and you were encouraging. And our kids grow up and they say, I want to be like that. But when you don't do a good job of self-leadership, what people do is they say, I don't want to be around that person because they bleed on me. Exceptional self-leadership is the key to lasting Influence, but self-deception destroys influence. And so here's what we need to understand today is you can't lead yourself if you're lying to yourself. Like if the easiest person to deceive is you, you can't lead you if you're willing to lie to yourself. And here's the big issue with that is dishonesty, it leaks. If you are willing to lie to yourself, here's what you will find. You will be willing to lie to other people because the more we rationalize something that is not reality, the more we will begin to believe it and the more we begin to sell ourselves on what we want to do rather than what we ought to do, and then we will be inclined to be dishonest to ourselves and to other people. When we start selling, you think about it, there's no good idea that really needs selling. Like good decisions, they don't need selling to you. It's just an obvious good decision. When we start selling, we need to put, push pause and say, man, I need to quit justifying half-truths. I need to quit lying to myself when, when the truth actually makes me feel bad about myself. I need to quit selling myself on something when I know it's not beneficial. Dishonesty erodes our credibility and erodes our influence. So here's today's better decision-making question. It's the honesty question. Am I being honest with myself? We can ask the question and say, what kind of story do I wanna tell? But when you really get down to it, you gotta break that down and say, in certain parts of my life, I've gotta start asking, what story do I wanna tell in this area? And when it comes to our honesty and our integrity, we would do well in decision-making opportunities to ask the question, am I just being honest with myself? Because if I'm being honest with me, I will be honest with you. Acts chapter five, starting at verse one, before we get there, a little context. Book of Acts is the story of the church. You've got the four gospels that precede it. You've got the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give the story of Jesus. But the book of Acts is a history book. It's a story of the church. So Jesus has ascended into heaven. He has told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit. He will direct you what to do. And my mission, bringing the gospel to the world, will be accomplished by this thing you're going to lead called the church. 
It's what you and I are doing. It's not a building. It's a gathering of people that have a mission to bring the gospel to all places in the world, to all people of the world. And so this has happened. Like the church has started off, and it started off with a bang. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this incredible sermon. There's 3,000 people that are baptized. In Acts chapter 4, there's another bunch of people that come to Christ. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are happening. We get to Acts chapter 5, and we realize that, like, people are going all in. There are thousands of people that have joined the church, believing in the gospel, stepping away from their Jewish beliefs, and they're going all in not just with their time, but they're going all in with their resources. And there's an interesting story at the end of chapter four that gives context for chapter five. There's a guy named Joseph. So it says in chapter four that it describes the early church and they dedicated themselves to a bunch of things, but then it gives this description of how the poor people in the early church actually didn't have need because some of the wealthier people and the middle class people actually sold things, sold property and houses and possessions, brought it to the disciples and had them distribute it to the poor. I mean, how, how amazing would that if, be if, if there were no poor people in our area because the church took care of that? Well, that's what was happening in the early church. There was a guy named Joseph. So the last couple of verses in chapter four, a guy named Joseph, you'll recognize his nickname in a minute. He sells a piece of property, a field, comes to Peter, takes the property or the proceeds for the property and places it at his feet. It's given to the poor. Now, I said you might recognize him. You don't recognize the name Joseph. You might recognize the name Barnabas. You see, Barnabas was actually Joseph. It goes on and it says a guy named Joseph who had a, who had a nickname who was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. When you get a nickname, if it's a positive one, like it, nicknames can be good, nicknames can be bad, but if you get a positive nickname, it's usually for, because of two things. Because you're really good at something and they give you a nickname with that, or because people really like you. And that was the case with Barnabas. His nickname meant son of encouragement. He was encouraging in everything he said and also in these kind of moments with everything he did. And so they gave him a nickname. He got some accolades and there were some people that wanted the same. Verse one, here's what it says. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property just like Joseph did. With his wife's full knowledge, she understands exactly what's going on, she's a full participant in it, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the disciples' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. <laughs> How would you like that church service? That's a, that's a little crazy, right? Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear seized all who heard what happened. I guess so. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. That is one heck of an offering meditation, right? Now, here's what the story's not saying. What Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is not saying, he's not saying, if you don't give, if you're not generous, you will die. <laughs> now, if that was the case, bring out the offering plates, because today would be the biggest offering we've seen in the history of our church. That's not what it's saying. This is actually not about generosity. 
Okay, well, what, what's going on in this moment and what's, what's actually, excuse me, what's not going on in this moment also is that God didn't strike Ananias down just because he didn't bring all the proceeds from the gift, like from selling of the land. That's not what's happening. This is more of an honesty question than a generosity question. But here's what you need to understand. God's not saying if you're not generous, you'll die. What he is saying is you will miss out. Just on the generosity piece for a side, he is saying that you will miss out on some of the faith-building miracles that he wants to do in your life. See, God gave us generosity for three things. It is to push forward the ministry of the church and bringing the gospel to the world and meeting the needs of the poor. That is exactly why Ananias, or excuse me, Barnabas gave. It is also to show our trust in God, but it's also, God knows we're greedy. It is an antidote for greed. And so God gave us this spiritual discipline and he said, hey, this is just good for you. You should do this. Plus, we need to fund my vision to bring the gospel to the world. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 8, he gives a promise and he gives a choice. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's a promise there. He basically says, you will reap what you sow. But here's what you understand. You, need, you will reap what you sow later than you sow. It's a faith act. You will reap what you sow later than you sow. And in my experience and what I've seen over and over and over in other people's experience when they trusted God, you will reap more than you sow. God uses it abundantly. He goes on in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided. It's your choice. Each of you have give what, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He says it's your choice. In the Old Testament, suggestion was a tithe, 10%. In the New Testament, the examples you see from rich, from middle class, from even poor, is sacrifice. The other church participated in it. It was sacrifice. God says this, he wants you to give because he wants to bless you and others through your giving. But here's what we understand from this story. This story, what it is saying is that Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not lack of generosity, it was lack of honesty. Ananias and Sapphira's sin wasn't lack of generosity. God didn't care about that as much. What he was doing is he was setting a foundation with his church right here from the beginning that I want my church to be built upon honesty. Verse two, interesting, says with his wife's full acknowledgement and understanding, Ananias kept back. You know what the words in Greek are for kept back? It's the word embezzle. So it kind of helps you understand what's going on here because you don't embezzle your own money. Right, You embezzle somebody else's money. So what happened in this situation, the same thing that Joseph did or Barnabas did, what he did is he pledged the sale of a property, the full sale of a property before it was sold to give it to the church to be given to the poor. So you can imagine the conversations around Ananias' house. This didn't just start off with, hey, I'm gonna lie to Peter today. It started off with a rationalization. Little conversation with Sapphira. Hey, babe, you, man, that was pretty interesting today. Did you see what Joseph, that's crazy what Joseph did. Man, that guy, he gave a whole piece of property. And look what they did. They gave him a nickname. Kind of be nice to have a nickname and everybody think about us and have a nickname. That would be cool. I wonder what would happen if we did that and we got a nickname. I wonder what that would be. 
you know, we got that piece of property, and I don't know if we can afford to give all of the property, but how about we just, and you can see where the rationalization, man, I can handle this. It's no big deal. We're still helping the poor, right? Nobody else is going to know. Well, somebody else was going to know, and it wasn't actually Peter. It was the Holy Spirit, because what had happened is Ananias had pledged the property before it was sold. And he said, I'll give, I'll do the same thing that Barnabas did. But Ananias was greedy for something else, for the approval of other people. And so he walks in and he places it before Peter and Peter gave him a shot. Ananias, is this the full price for the property? Because you pledged the full price for the property. Ananias said, yeah. And the Holy Spirit knew And what Ananias and Sapphira were doing is they were selling themselves a lie, rationalizing themselves into a bad decision and an even worse regret. And I think what God was doing in this moment is he was setting up a principle for the church that you and I need to hear He was setting up a principle for his church that had to do with honesty, that he was saying this, you need to understand that private choices have public consequences. Like, think about that for a moment. The private rationalizations that you have. Like, you rationalize things, you talk yourself into things, and in the moment you say, nobody else is gonna know that, I'll be fine with this, I can handle this, it's not gonna hurt anybody, I'm still helping this, right? Private decisions, a lot of times, They have public consequences. There's usually not many decisions in your life that don't become somebody else's business. And you know it. Because there are moments in our life where we irrationalized looking at something, reading something, clicking on something that we thought nobody else is watching and nobody else will know And we kept doing that and kept doing that and then somebody, we didn't cover our tracks and it became very public with our spouse, very public with our kids, very public with somebody we love and it had a huge regret. There's been others that have moments where we skipped something. Students, we skipped out on school. Thought, man, it's just one time, it's not gonna. And then whether somebody saw us and reported us or somebody noticed we weren't in class and talked to our parents or it showed up on a report card because we have not been given everything we could give, private decisions have very public consequences. And it goes both ways. You see, I think what God was looking at here in the church is he's saying, church, I got a mission for you. Like I want you to accomplish something and it is, it is, it is, it is too important for us to mess this thing up and to write a story that, that I don't want you to write and other people don't want to follow and other people don't want to participate in because if we believe that Jesus is the best thing that could happen in your life, our lives need to point toward that. So what God is saying is private decisions, the good ones and the bad ones, have very public consequences. I heard a story about a pastor. I kind of resonate with this one because I'm a pastor, obviously, but... Young pastor, had a bunch of kids, moved into a new town, took over a job at a new church, and um, State Fair came to town. State Fairgrounds were in that town, and so he took his family and just kind of hung out. So they went to the, to the fair, they rode some of the rides, had a good time, went to a local food truck, all the food trucks there, and they got some food. Paid in cash, went back, sat down, looked at the cash, the change that was given to him, and realized he was given way too much change. So in the moment, you have a question, what do you do in that moment? Man, it's busy, I got kids, my wife's not with me, and there's all kinds of, man, I, I gotta go back, it's not that much, or, or no, 
this is an integrity, honesty issue. I need to go back. Well, he got up, said, kids, I want you to stay right here. I'll be right back. He went to the food truck, looked in the window, kind of just said to the person like that was in line when the next person got done and said, hey, can I, can I interrupt for one second? Leans in the window and says, hey, sir, uh, you gave me way too much change. I just wanted to return it. And the guy looked at him and said, I know. And he goes, you know? He said, yeah, you're the new pastor in town, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I am. He said, well, I just wanted to find out if you were worth listening to. Here's the deal. Private decisions have very public consequences for good or for bad. And you owe it to yourself. You owe it to those who look up to you. You owe it to your kids. You owe it to your spouse. You owe it to everyone around you not to rationalize, not to lie to you, not to deceive yourself, but to be a person who's worth listening to. It goes on in the passage, and it's very interesting. Ananias, a very public thing that happens to him in the moment. And then Sapphira comes. And remember, this is not the days of social media. Like, nobody's just put it out there. You will not believe what happened in today's church service. Didn't happen. There's no texting to say, hey, Sapphira, you better get down here. Something happened to Ananias. Like, it's quiet. She has no idea what has happened. And so about three hours later, it says, his wife came in not knowing what happened. I don't know how you don't know what happened. But not knowing what happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And here it happens. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. You see the irony in that? Like that is the place where that's a place where Barnabas placed the money. That's a place where Ananias placed the money and they both lied and they fell down and died in the same place. The young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all those who heard about these events. Interesting thing about the passage. Very real thing that happened. You're like, God, why? Why were you so intense in that moment? Like, what, what were you trying to do? It doesn't, doesn't that seem pretty harsh? It does. But a little thing happens in the passage that, that Luke does with his writing. It is the first place in the entire New Testament where the word ecclesia is used. If you know what the word ecclesia means, it, it is the word for church. Now, in that, those days, it had a very different meaning. It was, it was more of just any public gathering. But what Luke does in this moment, he says, understand, you're a different kind of church. Like, you're a different kind of ecclesia. You are the ecclesia of God's people that have gathered together, that have a mission. And when all is going well, and when truth reigns, and when there is unity, and when people are living toward the gospel, what happens is people outside of the church see what is happening inside, see how people are being cared for, see the witness of the church, and they're like, I don't know about this Jesus guy yet, but I like them. And I might just try out what they're trying out because I need something in my life, and I need a different story, so I like them. And what God was saying in this moment is, church, you are a very different group of people with a very different mission. You will never be perfect, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but here's the deal. Your life, you should live your life in honesty 
asking the question, am I being honest with myself? Because if you're not honest with yourself, you won't be honest with other people. And if you're not honest with other people, they won't want to experience God's church and his son who could be their savior. You see, what God was saying to the church is that dishonesty has pretty big consequences. More importantly, what I think he was was really saying, you'll think this is really obvious, like you'll be like, why not get up for church this morning, but just stick with me, because this is really important. I think what God was saying to the early church is that the consequences of deceit are greater than the consequences of truth. Well, obviously, the consequences of deceit, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say dishonesty, I said deceit. Jeremiah puts it this way in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful. He didn't say dishonest. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Church, here's something we need to understand. There is a difference between dishonesty and deceit. Like dishonest, that's just straight up not honest. Like you can identify those people a mile away and half the time those people are just flat dishonest. They're not even smart enough to cover their tracks so you can see them coming a mile away. Here's the problem with deceitfulness. Deceit is harder to identify. You see, deceit usually has an agenda attached to it. Deceit usually is kind of just covered in some truth and some untruth and some half truth and, and, you just, and deceit is dangerous. And the problem with deceit is, what does Jeremiah say here? He doesn't say, he doesn't say man, other people's hearts. He didn't say other people. He says, you. Your heart, my heart, every single one of our hearts, we are predisposed to move toward what we want to do, not what we ought to do. And what we do is we deceive ourselves. If you're just straight up dishonest with yourself all the time, You'd see the facts, you'd see through it, and you wouldn't make as many bad decisions. But when we justify, we just tell ourselves some half-truths. We just talk ourselves into. We talk ourselves into a little bit that becomes a lot, that becomes much more, that leaves us with some serious regrets. You see, when we are deceitful with ourselves, what will happen is we'll believe our own cooking And we will see that as reality and we will begin to be deceitful with others. And here's the thing, if deceit was a matter of life and death, you'd never lie to anybody again. If deceit was a matter of life and death, you never lie to anybody again. Ananias would have walked in and he would have been like, oh, Peter, I gotta talk to you. Here's the issue. And everything would have been fine. But the problem is, We don't think it's as serious as God actually thinks it is. In that moment right there, not for Ananias, not for Sapphira, not for people, but for his church in general, God thought it was a matter of life and death. He saw their deceit as a cancer that needed to be cut out, so he jumped in and he says, I'm cutting it out right now for the sake of the church and its influence. And Christians, here's what I'd say. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about this. God didn't hold you to that standard, but if you're a follower of Jesus, he does hold you to the standard of honesty. He says his son came full of grace and what? Truth. He says, then you will know the truth and truth will what? Will set you free. Man, if we're gonna get rid of the seed in our hearts, here's what we need to do, two things. First of all, you need to admit it. 
Like if we just want to get real, just reality in our lives, repentance is all about this big Christian word. Repentance is acknowledging what is reality, acknowledging what I've done wrong, and then turning a different way. And the only way you can turn a different way and write a new story is if you just admit reality. And the reality is this, we are more predisposed to talking ourselves into what we want to do rather than what we ought to do. We're more predisposed into lying to ourselves, And if you will lie to yourself, you will lie to someone else. So we just need to admit we're that way. And if we admit it and start admitting to ourselves that we are that way, here's what happens. When we start telling the truth to ourselves, we start leaning toward truth and we start telling the truth to everyone else. Admit it. Second thing is ask it. Decision-making question, we already said it. Decision-making question for today is the honesty question. Am I being honest with myself? I don't think that's enough because we just said the heart is deceitful above all things. So what happens is saying, am I being honest with myself? And why don't I wanna date that guy? Why I, he's a nice guy. Okay. You ask yourself that question, you will rationalize yourself into that relationship that probably will have some regrets because he's not a great guy. He's not the kind of guy you should spend your life with. Why, why don't I want to eat that thing? Well, am I being honest with myself? Well, oh, because it tastes good. It's good, man. And she made it, and I should eat it. And I said, why do you want to eat it really? And we go all through these questions. Am I being honest with myself is not the best question to ask. One word makes all the difference. You start asking the question this way. Am I being honest with myself? And you add the word really. Why don't I want to date that guy? Really. Well, he is a nice guy, but the reason I really want to date that guy is because I'm lonely. And I'm scared if I'm not with him, who am I going to be with? And is God actually going to provide somebody for me? And I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to wait. Why do I eat that thing? It's not just because I like it. It's because I'm stressed out. And I have a tendency. Why do I do it really? Because I have a tendency when I'm stressed out, I eat. And I eat things that are unhealthy for me. Man, what is your thing? I mean, this, we could just go on down the line. Why do I talk to that person who's not my spouse? Well, because it's work-related. Is it work-related really? Am I being honest with myself really? Or is it actually because you have some problems at home and you really like that this person is leaning into you, listening to you, communicating with you, and, and really being kind of emotionally affectionate with you? And you track that puppy down and you just ask, am I being honest? And what it's gonna lead to is you will deceive yourself and you will find some regrets. But if we ask ourselves, am I being honest with myself, really? It eliminates the justifications. It, it eliminates the rationalization. It eliminates the deceit in that moment and it reminds us of what's true and it gives us the opportunity to make better decisions and experience fewer regrets. And God wants what's best for you. He says, man, you, you ought, if you wanna experience better decisions, fewer regrets, you just ought to ask that question, am I being honest, really? Now here's the thing, if we stop right there if we stop right there in that moment, here's what we've got. We've got a leadership talk that leaves us with some better decisions for the future or just kind of a pathway to do that. We've got a leadership talk that, that may even help us not experience some regrets, but we're also left with 
all these past things that we've done that we've got regrets in. And here's what the beauty of the gospel is, where Jesus steps in, and this goes from leadership to spirituality, this goes to even eternal things, this goes to bigger things than you and me, is what God looks at and he says, yeah, I want you to have better decisions that lead to keeping you from regrets, but here's what I wanna do, I wanna step in, and what I did is I stepped in at the cross, and I actually was nailed to a tree as the penalty for your regrets, so that I could actually step in with you, and I can't take away the action of what you did, but what I can take away is the spiritual and relational consequences of what you did. You wanna take care of your regrets from the past, you wanna find learning from it, you wanna find purpose in it even. You wanna find understanding of it and you wanna find some absolution of it. Jesus is the only way to do that. And all he says is simply to come to him, kneel at his feet and be honest. And just say, here it is. Here's who I am, here's what I've done. Jesus, would you take these and not only would you take them, would you forgive me and would you be the leader of my life? Man, when you do that, you not only take care of the future and get help with the future, he takes care of the past and he takes this heart and he puts it back together again. And I think some of you are sitting there and you need it because you realize you've been writing your story one decision at a time and there's been a lot of regrets in that. You are where you are, we all, we are where we are because of the decisions that we've made. Our decision making, it determines the direction and the quality of our life. And God's sitting there saying, you could have a better life if you just step in and you follow me. And you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to tell yourself to the truth so that you'll actually tell others the truth. So you'll actually have some influence over the people around you. And not only do you owe it to yourself, you owe it to those around you. If you're a parent, you owe it to your kids. If you're a spouse, you, you owe it to your wife or your husband. You owe it to your friendships, the people at work. You owe it to the people that look up to you to be a person worth listening to. It's actually not as hard as, it th- as you think. You just ask the question, am I being honest with myself? Really? And Jesus, would you help me with that? Let's pray. Father, I I know that there are people sitting here today that have some regrets, and here's what I just, I just know you want. You want them to come to you. Maybe today was just for them. And so, Father, I pray that that person who's sitting here saying, man, I got some regrets I don't know what to do with, I need help with that. Father, I pray they just even come down front today. They meet with our prayer teams that are right down front, and they just allow them to help them walk through connecting with you, turning the regrets over to you and asking you to lead their life. Father, help them to have courage to do that. And for all of us, Lord, as we walk out these doors today, I pray we'll ask the questions. What story am I telling? What story do I want to be told? And am I being honest with myself? Really? So God, we are thankful that you give us your spirit when we accept you to guide our directions, guide our decisions. And Father, I pray that we will lean into that and ask for your help. So God, I pray you bless each and every person as they walk out the door today. I pray that you will help us to have a week where we have moments where we are cognizant enough to ask the questions. And I pray it'll lead to not regrets, but some great stories. So bless each person. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. 